Hallelujah, Lord, we praise you today and we worship you. God, these th- these songs make us think about who you are and your nature and your character and your power and your glory and your knowledge and your justice and your grace and your forgiveness. Uh, Lord, we are just so thankful. You are you are so much bigger than we are. You are so much bigger than whatever circumstance we face, whatever mountain we are climbing. Uh, and God, we just worship you today, and we praise you today. We surrender to you today, even if we feel a little awkward uh, doing so in our homes, and we're not sitting or standing next to one another in a, in a building. God, we just praise you. You are greater than all of it, and uh, we worship you. You are the creator and sustainer of all things, Lord, and you are in control. So, Lord, help us today. I pray for homes and families today. On Valentine's Day, it's a time where culture celebrates uh, love and friendship and romance and these things, but I pray, God, uh, beyond all that, you would comfort the lonely, you would heal relationships, you would uh, encourage people with your presence above all things, Lord. These cultural things come and they go, but Lord, it's your presence that we need. It's your presence that will make us, uh, uh, bring us through the day. So, uh, Lord, we continue just to seek you and to put you first in our lives in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much for tuning in again, uh, those of you who are already on, and I'd invite you again to hit that share button. I know that sounds, you're so, you're so repetitive, t- telling us to hit that share button. Well, that's that's the way that we invite people to our church when we're meeting online, okay? And I want to thank Church on the Queensway for uh, leading us in worship, and uh, it's great to be in partnership with them. They have they have supported us right from the beginning, even from before the beginning of when we launched this church nearly five years ago. So, so grateful for the relationship with them. And I wonder if we could put that comment back on the screen from Benga uh, Ogunore, who is in Edmonton, Alberta. So thank you so much, Benga, for uh, for putting that comment on and for watching us today from uh, cold Alberta and colder than Quebec, Edmonton. But thank you for tuning in with us. And it gives me an opportunity just to mention that Benga has moved. He and his two daughters, Tammy Lauren Bukudmi, have moved over to Edmonton, Alberta, and we are going to miss them. But the world is small on the Internet, so uh, so grateful for them being a part of our church over the last year and a bit, and a great servant's heart, and just a family filled with joy and an authentic relationship with God. So we bring blessings to you, Benga, and the girls, and uh, the rest of you. You can put some comments on the screen if you want, but they have moved to the city of Edmonton. So we we pray God's blessing in their lives. All right, I want to give you some announcements before we begin today. As usual, I always start with our missionaries. We've got the mans who are, of course, waiting, just like so many other 
uh, missionaries who do their work overseas and they are waiting for travel bans to be lifted and so on. They'll be teaching leadership uh, around the world, uh, probably spending the bulk of their time, though, in African nations. Uh, pray for the Charbonneaux, Michel and Louise, who are active today in Port-au-Prince, Haiti. Always a volatile place in the world, but they are easy to get in touch with through their website and Facebook pages. And our newest addition to our team, EJ Toupe, who is in urban Toronto today. And you can stay in touch with him on his website. Okay, remember our midweek Bible study clash of kingdoms which is going so well we are going to be starting uh, week number three this is a look at the the early church and how the values and um, ethics and beliefs of the early church clashed with the uh, first century roman empire and you have this clash of kingdoms how do you live um, Christianly in a non-Christian world. And we've been having a great time on Wednesday nights. It's just for one hour from 7 to 8. This is top-notch uh, produced video from the folks at That the World May Know. If you still want to join, it is still open. Um, go to our... Mm, 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 you, you'll get an email. Yeah, you should have had an email about three weeks ago. And if you did not get it, if we can put that ticker on the screen that gives our, uh, our phone number there, if you will text the key phrase, reach the one with no spaces to 514-900-0130, I will send an email off to you, uh, put you on our mailing list and send an email off to you with that Zoom link, all right? It only runs from 7 to 8, but it is a great study and a chance for you to get to know new people as well. And remember, Monday nights, we've been having fun with this too. We're doing a live Q&A and prayer uh, for 30 minutes only. It's hard to do in 30 minutes, actually, but from 7 to 7.30. And tomorrow night, we're going to cover the subject of piercings, body piercings. A question came to me about that. And also, what can we learn about the Bible from COVID? There are several things that we can learn about the Bible and observe just using this virus as a teaching tool. And uh, so we're going to talk about that tomorrow night, and we'll take whatever other questions that you have live right there at 7 p.m. And remember as well to join our discipleship group if you are a part of our church, either online or in person. Uh, right now, everybody's online and not in person, but if you call this church your home, um, this will help you go deeper. And I'm working with a group of, I think it's six or seven people. I give them homework every week. People are challenging one another, praying for one another, starting to uh, be transparent with one another. That develops accountability. People are going to start to get more and more involved, discover their spiritual gifts. You just grow as a disciple. And that's what you need to do. Uh, it's one thing to, you know, watch services or come to churches, go to attend a church gathering. That's great. But to grow as a Christ follower needs to be done intentionally. So if you want to join that group, you just uh, go to our Facebook page, click the More tab and Groups, and you will be able to join. Okay, thank you for your faithfulness in giving. 
You do that through our website at citypointchurch.ca slash give or on our homepage, uh, our website homepage. It's been cleaned up a little bit. I saw some weirdities there, and uh, it's been fixed up. Uh, it's amazing. You know, the, the technology keeps changing, and you have to keep changing with it. So it's all cleaned up and looks really good. Your income tax receipts, uh, you should have received them already by either email or uh, snail mail or the old traditional mail. If you have not received them yet, reach out to me and I will uh, make sure that you get your income tax receipt for the year 2020. So here we go. We are in part six of our series, When You Pray. And this is uh, a little phrase that Jesus used several times when he was teaching people about prayer. And he said, when you pray, pray this way. When you pray, don't pray this way. And he, he assumes that disciples are about the business and the practice of prayer. So uh, we're taking the winter to really focus in on that. And uh, we're in part six today. And I want to challenge you uh, with something pretty simple today from the book of Acts, which we've been spending the bulk of our time in. Part six, watch what happens when you pray. Watch what happens. And the idea here is that often when we pray, we, we our faith level, especially in the 21st century here in the Western world, our faith level can be really, really low. And we're not really expecting that much to happen. Uh, oftentimes, if we're being honest, you know, we pray and it's sort of like, well, you know, it's good. I'm learning to pray. I'm praying. But are we really looking for an answer? Are we really watching with anticipation for what God is actually really going to actually do in our actual lives? And I think many of us, we just pray and finish it. We don't even remember half the time. What did I pray for again? And how do I look for the answers to what God is giving me uh, or how God is answering? What is he answering? I've given up looking for answers. I mean, it's, our faith level is really low at times. And uh, it's a challenge in the Western world here to have a high level of faith because we have so many options at our disposal to go through life. But the fact is that God does answer prayer but we have to learn to watch for that. And so the title of this message is Watch What Happens When You Pray. We'll put the next slide on, please. And this is from the book of Acts, chapter 10. It's pretty well all chapter 10. As I often say, I love the book of Acts uh, for several reasons. Number one, it's written by Luke, who's a detailed physician. And there are many details in the book of Acts, historical in particular, that we can dovetail with uh, history that's found outside the Bible. And we can cross-reference things that Dr. Luke says in the book of Acts and in the book of Luke to get a real understanding of what the Bible is actually teaching and to show that the Bible is actually true. And Luke is amazing for this, and the book of Acts is in a narrative style. It's super easy to read, and so I really love this book, and it is so challenging 
So here in the book of Acts chapter 10, I want to tell you a little story of the prayers of two very different men and how God answers those prayers in ways that I'm sure those two men did not expect at all. Um, so I'm going to pick away at the book of Acts chapter 10. You can dig it up in your Bible's New Testament. You take a paper Bible, use a table of contents to try and find it, or an electronic Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then the book of Acts, right? So you have the four Gospels, and then the story of the early church from the book of Acts. So we are at Caesarea. There is a man, Acts chapter 10, verse 1, named Cornelius. That's the first man. He is a centurion, we are told, in what was known as the Italian Regiment. So a centurion was a military man in charge sometimes of hundreds or even thousands of military uh, men. And so they had a lot of authority and an understanding of authority. And uh, this, this is the first man in our story. And we're told that he and all of his family were devout and God-fearing. And in fact, he shows this. He gives generously to those in need and he prays to God regularly. Now, a God-fearing person, Luke's terminology here, um, this is not referring to a Christ follower. This man, and we'll see this later, was not a disciple of Jesus. He was what you call a God-fearer. And God-fearers back in that time were non-Jewish people, so they were what you call Gentiles, to use a New Testament term. They were not Jewish. This whole thing so far pretty well is Jewish. Uh, the new movement of followers of Jesus are Jewish. The people who oppose the new movement followers of Jesus are mostly Jewish. So this has remained so far essentially a, a Jewish thing and something inside the kind of auspices of Judaism. Uh, it hasn't really traveled much outside of that, although uh, the gospel has gone to Samaria as a result of some persecution because of uh, Saul of Tarsus, and we saw that last week. But anyway, these God-fearers were these non-Jewish folks, and they would take on the God of Judaism. They would worship Yahweh, they would go to the synagogues. They would essentially become uh, Jewish, although they weren't Jewish. And so this man was one of those men, and he was God-fearing, and he was extremely devout. Uh, one day at about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, this man has a vision, and he sees an angel who speaks to him. Now, I know for some of my skeptical watchers and friends, you're saying, oh, here we go again with the angels and the visions. As I often say, very difficult to try and pull all of those things out of the Bible and keep all of the historical details in the Bible. You've got to decide, are you going to accept this or are you going to reject this? Um, now, in my view, uh, because of the resurrection of Jesus we have good reason to believe these supernatural accounts as well. 
Uh, but anyway, uh, I'm going to take it at face value. So if you're a skeptic, I want you to read these things at, at face value today and just take them as they're written. So the angel speaks to him, Cornelius, and Cornelius says, what is it, Lord? It's interesting, the angel's response. The angel says, your prayers and your gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Curious term, a memorial offering. And we're not real sure exactly what he means, this angel, when he says that. There are memorial offerings in the Old Testament. Uh, but it's clear that this man got the attention of God by his prayers and by his actions. And it's also clear, you'll see later on in the story, that he is praying at this time. Vision just doesn't happen to him. He's praying and he has his vision at the same time. And so uh, he apparently has God's attention. And the angel says, I want you to send some men over to a place called Joppa. And I want you to bring back a man by the name of Simon, who is called Peter. That's Peter, one of the, the apostles. And he is staying at the house of Simon the Tanner. So Simon is staying at Simon's house. If you remember the old TV show, Simon and Simon from the 1980s. Simon's a very, very common name in the first century. So we've got Simon Peter staying at the house of Simon the Tanner in the city of Joppa, which is about 54 kilometers away from Caesarea. I'll show you that in a minute. So when the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius... He does what he's told, and he calls two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants, and he told them everything that had happened and sent them off to Joppa. We'll put the little map on the screen so people know where we are here. Uh, Joppa, if you look and you see Samaria, the province of Samaria, the province of Judea, and you go west of Judea, you're going to see on the, oh, there's a little hand with an arrow there. Fantastic work by my producer here. You're going to see the city of Joppa. It's right on the seashore of the Mediterranean Sea. And if you go north up uh, a little bit uh, uh, west of Samaria, so move your pointer up, up, up. Keep going, keep going, keep going. There you go. And there you've got Caesarea. And so Simon Peter's in Caesarea, or sorry, Simon Peter's in Joppa, Cornelius is in Caesarea, and uh, Cornelius has sent some people to go and grab Simon and bring him back to his house. We don't know why. And so uh, the, everyone does what they're told. Again, it's about a 54-kilometer journey between the two cities. So presumably they went on horseback because they seem to have done it in about a day or a little more than a day. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city. Yeah, go ahead and put any comments on that people are, uh, are posting if we're behind there. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. So you've got Cornelius' prayer. And you've got Peter's prayer. He goes up on the roof to pray, curious location, and he becomes hungry and he wanted something to eat. And while the meal's being prepared, he falls into some type of trance. This is the word that's used in the English. And he sees a vision. 
So Cornelius saw a vision, and now Peter is seeing a vision, and it's a really strange thing that he sees. He sees a large sheet that's being let down to earth by its four corners, and it has all kinds of animals on it. We're told four-footed animals as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. If you are a first century Jew, you know exactly what's going on because all of these foods are not kosher. They Eating these foods would be against uh, the Levitical uh, dietary law. And then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. So it's as if he's seeing a vision, presumably from God, and God is telling him to violate the Levitical law to eat unclean animals, or as we would say in today's terms, not kosher animals. And Peter, being the, being the Jewish man that he is, says, surely not, Lord, I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. I follow the Levitical law. And the voice spoke to him a second time, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Peter, there's a bigger lesson that you are about to learn. And this happens three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. (laughs) Bizarre, bizarre vision. And does Peter know what it means? Probably not really. Does Cornelius know what's going to happen? Not really. But both of these men have been praying. So Peter is wondering what in the world just happened. What is the meaning of this vision? Knock, knock, knock. The men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon was staying, stopped at the gate, called out, and they say, hey, is there someone here, Simon, who is called Peter? And Peter is still thinking about this, and we're told that the Holy Spirit says to him, we're not sure if he hears an audible voice here or if this is some kind of prompting in his mind. Luke doesn't tell us. Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Now, Peter is Jewish. These men from Caesarea are Gentiles. It is forbidden in the law for Jews to be in the company of Gentiles. Uh Uh-oh, and so he is going to do something here that is a taboo. Clearly, uh, there's strange things afoot in this story uh, as we keep moving along here. But Peter is assured you're going to go with these men. So Peter goes down. He says, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? And the men said, we have come from Cornelius the centurion. They tell the truth. He's a righteous and God-fearing man. He's respected by all of the Jewish people. And a holy angel told him to have you come to his house. Wow. Peter the Jew going into Cornelius the Gentile's house. Ooh, this is a religious taboo that's about to happen uh, to hear what you have to say. So, Peter, uh, we, our instructions are very clear. We have to bring you back to Caesarea. We have to bring you into the house of our boss, Cornelius, who is a centurion, a Gentile <laughs> centurion. You're coming over 
to his house. Odd, odd story. So Peter's very uh, polite, and he says uh, he invites the men into the house to be his guests. It's not even Peter's house, by the way, but in those days, uh, that was the custom. And so they spend the night there. The next day, they start out with them, and they, um, uh, some of the people from Joppa also go with them. So you've got, uh, you've got quite a little company of people who are going to make the route to Caesarea. Takes them a day. The following day, again, it's 54 kilometers, just about. Uh, the following day, they arrive in Caesarea. Here we go. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives <laughs> and his close friends. So he's taking this very, very seriously, Cornelius, and he, he's brought people over. He wants to uh, hear exactly what this man, Simon Peter, is going to say because uh, he's taking this vision from God extremely seriously. And so he's got his friends and relatives there. Peter enters the house and Cornelius meets him and falls at his feet in reverence. Uh, Peter instantly corrects him, and he says, you stand up. I am only a man myself. And so Peter goes inside, and he finds a large gathering of people. These are Gentiles. I mean, he is in, he is in no man's land here uh, for a first century Jewish man. This is a real taboo. And so you've got kind of like this church gathering that Cornelius has set up. Uh, it's a gathering of people that has been set up here. And uh, are we okay? Yeah. My producer was giving me a notice. No, okay, good. So uh, uh, we've got the, almost like a church gathering. Now, he's not even a Christian. And he's got people lined up in his house, a large gathering. And so uh, Peter says to them, you are well aware that this is a taboo. This is against our law for a Jew to visit with a Gentile, uh, to associate with a Gentile or visit with him. I am not supposed to be doing this, but God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. Peter, apparently, it's clicked with Peter, and he understands the meaning of this weird vision where he's told to eat kosher food. And so when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why? You sent me because from his perspective, uh, Peter's perspective, it's like, well, I had this vision. God is telling me not to call you impure, not to call you unclean. I understand that from this weird vision that I had where I was told to eat kosher, uh, eat non-kosher food. And um, so I understand that I'm in your house. Uh, so I've done what God told me. I've broken some taboos here. But why have you sent me? And so Cornelius is going to tell his story. Remember, this is a story of two, two very different men and their prayers and how God answered. So Cornelius says, well, let me tell you my end of it. Four days ago, I was in my house praying. So again, Cornelius was praying. Peter was praying. And all this stuff happened. What were they praying for? Were they praying for all the stuff that happened? Likely not. But all this stuff happened as a result of their consistent prayer. Question, what if they hadn't been praying? Hmm. Four days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour, three o'clock in the afternoon. And suddenly, 
a man in shining clothes, as that angel that he saw, stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer, remembered your gifts to the poor, send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest at the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good for you to come. So we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. <laughs> so, Peter, you're here. We want to hear whatever it is you had to say. It's very clear, Peter, that God has arranged this whole meeting for some reason. So you have the floor. You have the microphone. I've got all my family here. I've got a large company of people here. Peter, tell us what it is that you have to say. We're in the presence of God. We want to listen to everything that the Lord has commanded you to tell us. This is a God-fearing Gentile doesn't apparently know anything about Jesus. Apparently. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. In some translations, he is no respecter of persons. But he accepts men from every nation, including non-Jewish nations, who fear him and do what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel. Oh, so apparently, he may have had some knowledge about the events of Jesus of Nazareth. Watch. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of the peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, about the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. You know these things. Apparently, Cornelius and his household had knowledge of the events of Jesus of Nazareth, but did not think that those things applied to him. He seemed to have thought that this was restricted towards Jewish folks only. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him from the dead and on the third day caused him to be seen. I'll pause here for just a moment. These couple of verses are often used by Jewish folks to say um, that uh, Christians uh, persecute Jewish people because Jewish people killed Jesus, and that's why Christians hate them so much. Uh, this is taken way out of context here. Again, uh, the whole the whole uh, Christian message started within Judaism. Jesus was Jewish. All the early followers of Jesus were Jewish for sure. There was a segment of Judaism that rejected Jesus, but there was a segment of Judaism that accepted Jesus. And so this business of, well, you know, Christians hate Jews because they, their Bible says the Jews killed Jesus is taken out of context. On the third day, God raised him from the dead and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people. But witnesses whom God had already chosen by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. Talking about the resurrection of Jesus as a literal, historical, actual, physical event. He commanded us to preach to people and to testify that he is the one 
whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All of the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him, everyone who believes in him, receives forgiveness of sins through his name. He's preaching a little sermon here. And it seems to be that Cornelius wasn't ignorant of these events after all, but he probably didn't think that he had the right to partake in the blessings of these events uh, because he was not Jewish, because he was a Gentile. But something flips in his heart and in the hearts of the people who hear this little sermonette from Peter because the strange and astonishing happens next. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. Pow! And you've got Jewish people, circumcised believers, as we're told, who had come with Peter. They're standing there with their mouths open because they, they hear right away. It just happens like pow right in front of them these non-Jewish people start speaking in other languages um, and praising God. Verse 46, they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Bizarre. I mean, something flips in their heart. They recognize this, this sign of speaking in tongues way back from Acts chapter 2, and they say they're scratching their heads with their mouths open, and they're saying, wow, this thing has happened to Gentiles. This must be proof positive that God accepts non-Jewish people, that the message of Jesus is for everyone and not just us. Wow. So Peter says, by golly, as my translation, can anyone keep these people from being baptized in water? I mean, look, they've received the Holy Spirit just as we have the same thing happen to them that happened to us. So he orders them to be baptized in the name of Jesus. And then they invite Peter to stay with them for a few days. Now you say, yeah, but I th doesn't that mean that Cornelius was already a Christian? No, it doesn't. Because in Acts chapter 11, when Peter is explaining this, to the believers in Jerusalem, to their shock, because they're all Jewish, and they're like, you went into this guy's house? What are you doing? Uh, what happened? And so Peter recounts the whole story, and as he's recounting it, um, Acts 11, uh, verse uh, uh, 14 um uh, verse 11, right then, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea, Peter speaking, explaining what happens. They come to the house. The spirit tells me to let them in. I let them in. And the man starts telling his story. And his story went like this. Send to Joppa for Simon, who's called Peter. Verse 14, he will bring you a message. This is Cornelius, the detail of Cornelius's message. Uh, uh he will bring you a message. Peter will bring you a message through which all your household will be saved. So that's the little detail that is recounted for us there. That's what the angel said to Cornelius, through which your whole household will be saved. Moral of the story, the message of Jesus is for everyone, not just for Jewish people. 
you say, well, okay, that's a cool story, but what's that got to do with prayer? And watch what happens. Let me give you a few little observations before we finish today. Number one, when you are praying and your faith level is low, like a lot of 21st century Western world Christians, especially in a pandemic, right? Our faith can just get crushed. We see this thing drag on and on and on. Number one, when you pray, write it down. So this here is written down for us. This account is written down for us. These two men were praying and some incredible things happened. When you pray, write it down. Write your prayers down. Write down what happens afterward. Sometimes people call that journaling. Make a little recording. Use your phone. This is what happened today. This is what I've been praying for. And this is what happened today. You don't even have to write it if you're a little bit lazy like me. Just record some sound things on your phone privately. Almost like a little audio journal. Write it down. Your faith will begin to grow as you write these things down. You will see God do things. But sometimes we're so busy that we we don't even realize that God is doing things when we are praying. So number one, write it down. Number two, the, the way that it's traditionally taught, and I've taught this many times, that God answers prayer uh, is three ways. The first way we love, and that's the yes answer. So we're praying for something, and something happens. And so we say, well, God said yes. Yay! And we want a lot of yeses. You know, when we pray, we want yeses. And that's, so we, we say, well, that's a yes. And then we pray for something, and it doesn't happen. And so we say, well, that must be a no. Um, and then we pray, and it, it doesn't happen. But we still think that the prayer is pretty legitimate. The prayer uh, is not selfish. The prayer has uh, good godly motivation. Uh, the, the prayer is seems to be in line with the Bible and the things that God teaches about his will and his character and so on, but it hasn't happened yet. And so we say, well, maybe later. Maybe God will answer this prayer with a yes later. And so we say, well, you know, there's three answers, yes, no, and slow. And that's okay. Uh, but as I've said, uh, I think on Monday night uh, in one of our questions uh, that came up, Look, when you're in a relationship with God, God is going to answer in many ways, not just yes, no, and slow. Here's the answer that he gives to Cornelius and to uh, Peter. Surprise! So these men are praying, and God totally surprises them with something that's I mean, they were not expecting this to happen. Peter is not expecting to have to break these religious taboos of his time, go into this Gentile guy's house. He's had this weird vision of eating kosher food. Like this is he's not praying about this when he's praying, but the fact is he's praying. And when you pray, sometimes the answer is surprise, and God is going to give you exceedingly abundantly beyond anything you could ask or imagine, Ephesians chapter 3, and he's going to give you something that's going to blow your mind. He's going to totally surprise you. If you're not writing it down, and if you're only expecting a yes, no, or slow, 
you may well miss the surprise. And this is a great, great surprise here. Um, and it, it, this really changes the history of the church moving forward. I mean, you have what I would argue is the greatest event in church history is the, is the transformation of Paul. But this one is a close second here because here we see that non-Jewish people are completely accepted by God, by faith, the same way that Jewish people are. He doesn't make exceptions. He's no respecter of people. The, the majority of my audience here this morning, in fact, the majority of Christians around the world today are not Jewish. They're Gentiles. They're non-Jewish. And this is because of what happened here in Acts chapter 10, two millennia ago. So this is a very, very significant event, a, a world-changing event, essentially, uh, in the book of Acts here. Surprise, surprise. They weren't praying for it, but God surprised them. And finally, salvation priority. I'll call it that way, salvation priority. When you read the Bible and you see what is it that God wants, his desire is that none would perish, but all would come to eternal life. He's not willing that any would perish, Peter says. Uh, Paul says to Timothy, it's his will for everyone to be saved. This whole event is orchestrated by God because salvation of souls is his priority. The growing of his kingdom the plundering of the kingdom of darkness. This is God's priority to see as many people as possible come to faith in him. We often lose that priority because it's not always a priority for us, but it's a priority for him all the time. You know, uh, the the. The very disturbing has happened recently. Um, when you look at the at the church and you look at what's going on, especially in the West, very disturbing with this whole thing of so many uh, Christ followers um, uh, with this whole thing of the U.S. presidential election. Folks, I can't find one place in the Bible, help me if I'm wrong, where we're directed to pray uh, for a particular person to be elected into office. I don't see that. We're to pray for people who are already in office. Uh, back then, they didn't even have a democratic process for elections. You wouldn't even have something like that in the Bible. But we're instructed to pray for people who lead us, whether we like them or we don't like them. I mean, you know, we're busy praying for, well, who's going to win the Super Bowl? I want Tom Brady to win. Well, I want Patrick Mahomes to win. And, you know, <laughs> I mean, salvation is God's priority, the salvation of people. And when you're praying, that's a priority and because it's God's. And our, that's what our church is about. We want to reach the one who is far from God. Why? So that together we would become passionate followers of Jesus. Disciples make disciples. People become followers of Jesus. They grow in discipleship. They become passionate. They make other disciples. It's like a circle that keeps on going. That's the will of God for your life is to be leading people 
to his son. It doesn't mean that all the other things that you're praying about are irrelevant. And, you know, that that doesn't mean that. But it means that God is going to move heaven and earth to see people saved. And he's going to use your prayers in ways that you wouldn't believe if you were told. So write it down. Yes, God answers yes, no, or slow. But God will surprise you. He will surprise you and he will answer in ways that you are totally not expecting. And underneath it all, he has salvation as a priority. Think of those people who you work with. Think of those people who you go to school with. God wants to see those people come to Jesus. God wants to use your prayers and your life and your particular subculture to make a difference and to be salt and light in this world. And so when you pray, incredible things can happen. God used the prayers of two men to essentially change the scope of Christianity for the rest of the world. The prayers of two men. Amazing. So I'm going to just take a moment to pray for you uh, as we close today. And uh, I don't know, I don't know what you're going through. Not sure, you know, I'm not a mind reader. Uh, But I think that for so many of us, the faith level is so low. And we just need help from God to grow our faith and to prioritize our faith. So Father, we just come to you and thank you for this amazing story and the little observations that we can glean from it. I pray, Lord, uh, from the from the little child who's watching to the, the seasoned senior, I pray in the name of Jesus that faith would grow in our hearts. Lord, that we would expect things from you, that we would be able to see and document the work of God in our lives, that we would be able to quiet the noise, to see the peaceful moving of the Spirit of God in our lives. So, Lord, lift up the discouraged today and the frustrated today and the depressed today in the name of Jesus, that the power of the Spirit would just would just come through in people's homes and in people's hearts and minds and souls. Now we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you today, and thank you so, so much for tuning in. I will put one more announcement on the screen. Remember, tomorrow night, 7 p.m., live Q&A and prayer. We're going to talk about piercings and what can we learn about the Bible from C-O-V-I-D. So happy Valentine's Day again to everyone. God bless you. Have a great rest of the day.